Hello, Krista. Thanks so much for being on the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. So typically, I start off with some rapid fire questions um, just to get a peek into your personality. Um, the first one I have for you is, um, what if you had an opportunity to change one rule in the government process, what would you change? Oh, man. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, one rule in the government process. I guess I would probably change, um, and in our state government, the Senate has some interesting rules um, that you really have to navigate. And one of them is that one senator has a lot of power. I think I would I would change that to make it a little bit more even, even vote spread. Makes sense. Uh, what would you be if you weren't the lobbyist? Oh, probably, I'd probably work in a hospital somewhere as, a, as an administrator or physician practice manager or something like that. What is your favorite destination spot? I, I love traveling, so I just ask this question. Uh, well, my favorite international spot I've been is Italy and um, domestic recently every every summer for the last several years, my family and I have gone to Lake Lure and we love it up there in, in the mountains in North Carolina. Oh, I've never been to Lake Lure. Maybe I should give it. It's that. beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, really? Okay, cool. Um, what or why is it important for the youth to be in government relations? Government impacts everything that we do. And if you don't realize that it, it's impacting you, it's probably impacting you more. Um, you know, it, and everybody needs a lobbyist. And, and if, again, if you don't think you need one, then, then you're losing. Um, so it is certainly important to have an awareness of what's going on at the state and local and federal government level in terms of what laws they're passing that you will have to abide by. Um, but also have a say and understanding that the government is for the people and uh, you can influence the outcomes or the laws that are passed at your local or, or state or even federal level. How would you educate um, the public the role of a lobbyist? So I, I like to say that a lobbyist is an educator, really. So uh, there are a lot of topics that any, anybody in the government, any elected official have to cover and they can't be an expert in all of them. And sometimes it's hard to even be an expert in one. And so they rely on experts in those fields and people who have a deep understanding of the impact in each of those fields to share that with them. And then they take that information and decide how they're gonna vote um, weighing the pros and cons. And so really, I think it's, it's a huge job of a lobbyist to educate both the elected officials so that they can vote, but also the public and uh, industry stakeholders on what is being discussed or what is being uh, enacted into law that they'll have to have to comply with. What is your favorite hobby? Oh, I love to exercise. I exercise a lot. I, I live on the river at Riverwalk here and I'm always on there either riding my bike or, or walking, um, lifting weights, doing Pilates and, and Pure Bar. Um, I also have three children, so I don't have a whole lot of time for other hobbies, but I like to read. Sometimes that's audiobooks um, these days, but I, I do like to, to stay up to date on new books and, um, and that sort of thing as well. Nice. What three skills you think are essential for someone to be a good lobbyist? Um, whew, I think that you have to be 
dedicated. You have to care about what you're doing and be dedicated to it. Um, you have to be a hard worker. Sometimes the days are long. Uh, so the turnaround is quick. Things move very quickly and you have to be willing to go at that pace and, and, and work hard when it's needed. And, and I don't know if this last one is a skill or if it's um, a trait as much, but I think integrity is one of the most important things for somebody in government relations to have is uh, at, at the end of the day, all you really have is your word. And if, if people don't trust that, then there's not much value that you can provide there as well. What is the one thing you want your family to remember about you? <laughs> I, I want my family to remember um, you know, that, I, that I cared a lot, that I cared about my family, but that I cared about my community and my state and you know, the people of South Carolina um, and that I was working to make it better for, for my, my family and for everyone else as well. If you could have dinner with any three people, like dead or alive, who would they be? Oh, man. Um, Eleanor Roosevelt would definitely be one of them. Um, probably George W. Bush. He just seems like he has a lot of information and he'd be a fun time to have dinner with. Um, and... Hmm, That's that. That is a hard one. I should have it. That's an. That's a question I should have an answer ready for all <laughs> the time. Okay. I don't know why I don't. Um, and I guess the third one I will go with my uh, my grandfather. He died when I was nine, and I was very close with him as a child, and I have very good memories of him. But it's been a long time uh, since I've gotten to talk with him, and I'd love to talk with him as an adult now. Nice. I think that's a good segue into the next segment of the podcast where we dive into your childhood. Um, can you tell us a little bit about where did you grow up and how was your childhood like? Sure. Yeah, I grew up in rural southwest Minnesota, a town called Marshall, um, about 12,000 people in Marshall uh, in the middle of really nowhere. Um, and I was the youngest of four kids. So as you can imagine, I learned at a very young age to be independent and to kind of take care of myself in a lot of ways, both um, both because it was the 90s and because I had siblings. So um, that that tells a lot about my childhood. But I um, I really enjoyed growing up in a small town. You know, there's a lot of things that I was able to do kind of freely, ride my bike around town all by myself and that kind of thing. Um, and, and it was great. I had no interest at that time in politics until I was about in high school. Um, and then, you know, you take government classes and I thought, oh, this is pretty cool, but didn't really think a whole lot, um, about it beyond that. Yeah. Interesting. And, and after you were interested in politics in high school, did you try and pursue that path or what happened at, after that? I did not know. So I actually, I went to a small school and I was uh, majoring in biology and I ended up transferring to the University of Minnesota, which is a, a very big school. And I ended up getting a degree in human nutrition and biochemistry. Mm -hmm. So not at all politics uh, in college, I was involved in uh, college Republicans. And so I did get kind of my hobby political fix there. And that's really probably where I got really more interested and involved in the political process and campaigns and stuff like that was in college Republicans, but I had no plans to make that a career path. I had no, I'm not a political science major, nothing 
that. Certainly not the typical lobbyist. I don't have a law degree. Um, I'm not a historian, history buff, anything like that. I have a nutrition degree and a, a master's in healthcare administration degree. So, oh, so so you were at least interested in the health um, side signs of it. So, so I think that kind of has the connection right now you're working at the hospital associations are kind of that kind of connects the dots I guess right absolutely yeah and that is actually so you know I did work on a few campaigns um, I worked on a, a presidential campaign in 2012 between college and grad school and um, got really interested in that met a lot of people that way and so then when I moved down to South Carolina for graduate school um, I was able to kind of connect those dots and use those connections to get plugged into politics down here a little bit. And I still wasn't in lobbying. I still wasn't doing anything professionally or um, for any kind of job, but just as a hobby. Um, I was still planning to go work in a hospital. I was gonna be a hospital administrator or something of that sort. Uh, and I, I just kind of, I don't know if you'd be in the right place at the right time or the wrong place, <laughs> but I uh, ended up over here. So interesting that you you bring that up because that really is, since I don't have a, a typical path into the lobbying, which is for most people, their political science or law degrees, um, they have family members or or parents or somebody like that who was in the legislature or they worked in there, they were staff in the legislature. And so they built those relationships that way. I don't have any of those connections. So instead I've had to, I came in through the kind of content expert direction. So I learned a lot about healthcare. I was very involved in healthcare. I worked at the hospital association. Um, and even still I've, I rely a little bit on my content expertise uh, since I don't have some of those other background and kind of connections that other folks have. And I came in a little bit different way than they did. So I, I find my value is in, in other areas in terms of building trust and relationships and respect um, up there in the lobby. And, and obviously, when once you do that, people tend to forget how you got there, right? Once you're in there for a while. But certainly, there are other pathways besides the most traditional ones, but it is odd. People often ask me, how did you, get, how did you get up here again? How did you end up in this? How did you end up in this place? Um, and really I came in the healthcare route and that landed me in the lobby versus going the lobby route and then picking your clients after that. Yeah. I, I feel like, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you basically jumped into the area which you are most interested in first and kind of that drove the path for your government relations side of it, right? Absolutely. And I, I actually spent a couple of years at the hospital association not doing government relations. I was there during graduate school on the for-profit side doing things like business development and kind of whatever else that they needed as a graduate assistantship. And then when I was about to graduate, I was offered a job there full time in their staffing and workforce area. And so I did that for about a year and then a job opened up on the advocacy team. And because I was interested in politics and I was doing that kind of on the side anyway, I inquired about it and, you know, six or seven years later, here I am, I guess. <laughs> so it was, it was, it, it was, I guess, serendipitous that, that I am here and it's worked out great. I've been able to combine, I guess, my healthcare experience and knowledge with my political interest um, in, in that area. Um, but certainly 
yeah, it was not the goal to be a lobbyist. It just kind of happened that way uh, through my experience with healthcare. And and when you say you were doing it on the side, uh, what do you mean by that? I was volunteering for campaigns. I was, um, you know, helping set up different political events. Um, you know, some of my friends when I worked on a, a presidential campaign were from South Carolina, and so when I ended up moving here. I made a couple phone calls and said, hey, do you still live in Charleston or do you still live in Columbia? And so when I moved to South Carolina, I didn't know anyone else, really, except my graduate school classmates. And so I kind of leaned on them and became involved in uh, politics and in the world of politics in South Carolina, which is its own beast, very different from politics in Minnesota. Um, that That's kind of how I got involved there. And so I started to build friendships and relationships that made it a little bit easier guess, for me to transition into this role from the for-profit side I had been in on the healthcare uh, work workspace, but it certainly was nothing, nothing extravagant, making a few phone calls sometimes or attending events, things like that. And what made you move from Minnesota to South Carolina? At graduate school, I, I knew I wanted to get my master's in healthcare administration, um, and I also knew I wanted to go somewhere else. I'd been in Minnesota my whole life, and I thought grad school was a good excuse to leave. Uh, it was two years, and if I didn't like it and I wanted to come back, I had an end date, and I could go back to Minnesota. Um, obviously, that's not the path I chose. I, I found a home here, and, and I plan to stay, and um, you know, so I've been here ever since, but I, I knew that was what I always wanted to do was go somewhere else, live somewhere else. So the University of South Carolina had a great program, great opportunities, and I just jumped. Nice. So after you graduated, I see that you worked as an administrative support specialist. Um, can you tell us to walk us through a little bit about what was that all about? Yeah. So I think I was that at the University of Minnesota. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, I worked there for a few years, um, and that was a lot doing kind of accounting style work. I was helping process invoices and um, vendor payments, send out vendor processing items, and make sure that when we had a new vendor, we had them in our system. And that was really kind of experience for me to see the other side of healthcare. My undergraduate degree being in nutrition and dietetics, I had gotten some experience uh, looking into healthcare from the patient care side mm -hmm. and wanted to see the other perspective, see the administrative side of healthcare and see how that went and if that was something I might enjoy. Uh, and so I was able to find a position at the University of Minnesota um, Medical Center, I think is what it was at that time. And, um, and I had a great team there and they taught me a lot. And I was able to stay there for, for three years, I believe, um, doing that and learning a lot from them. So then when I did move over and go to graduate school, I already had some of that understanding of the payment process and billing mm -hmm. vendors and all of that under my belt. And I, I had a better understanding of that. That's great. So now, um, after you were working at the Health Fitness Corporation, you joined South Carolina Hospital Association as a graduate intern. And then you worked your way up to be the vice president. Please tell us, you know, how did you um, eventually get to that position and what was your role there? Sure, absolutely. And I started there during grad school and I was fortunate to find a position that really fit my interests and my needs at SCHA as a 
graduate assistant and I made a lot of relationships. I learned a lot about how South Carolina healthcare works since I didn't grow up here. It certainly was helpful to have the statewide bird's eye view of healthcare and how everything pieced together. So my hobbies on the side was politics, campaigns from you know my previous life and, and interests there. So I was both working at SCHA in business development and kind of workforce and data areas and also on the side doing some campaign and politics. And it, it eventually became clear that I could do both. And I think SCHA recognized that I had some of those relationships uh, at the state house and in politics and all of that. And when an opportunity presented itself, they were looking to add to the advocacy team. I jumped in, I filled that role. So that was a, a perfect fit for me there as the manager of advocacy communications. And then I mostly was monitoring and writing reports, newsletters in that role. And eventually I just continued on and built more and more relationships and um, kind of proved that I could handle the lobbying and take on some of the bigger challenges that the membership at the hospital association trusted me to do that, as well as the membership at the state house, the general assembly membership. And so um, it made a lot of sense. And my boss at the time, um, he was looking to retire or to go into a more part-time role. And so it, over time, I, I eventually stepped up into the director level position of both federal and state government relations. And then when he went a little bit more part-time and kind of pseudo-retirement, um, I stepped into the vice president role where I took on a lot more responsibility for the day-to-day -day advocacy team work, as well as the uh, lobbying at the state house and making sure that that was communicated to our members. So um, basically, I, I realized over time that I had had almost every title you can have at, at SCHA, from intern all the way to vice president. Um, and and um, so I was very fortunate to have that opportunity to grow there and to kind of prove myself and my level of responsibility and value to the organization. And um, can you tell us um, what did you learn from all of that experience? Is there any takeaway you can share with us? Sure. Well, one, one first and foremost thing that I learned was that I could do it. I could trust myself to do it. And that, uh, you know, I did have the experience and the knowledge and the understanding to do these things. You know, sometimes I think especially young women start out and have what I call imposter syndrome and um, think that they maybe can't do things or they're not as assertive enough. Their confidence and their abilities aren't maybe as high as their male counterparts or maybe the males aren't confident either. Um, so, but I see it a lot in young women. And so growing and, and being recognized when I was confident in myself, grew my confidence, my self-confidence there that I was able to do it, that I, I could do it and that I was capable um, and then on the flip side, it was nice to be recognized uh, and rewarded, I guess, or promoted when appropriate. And when my responsibilities and duties outgrew my title um, or pay or whatever at a certain level, that it was recognized that, oh, she's actually doing a lot more than the manager work here. She's lobbying for us and she's taking on a lot more responsibility. And um, so noticing those things in myself and feeling confident as well as um, having that recognition be external as well and, and them saying, we're going to promote you appropriately to match the job that you're doing. That's perfect. And after you worked 
at the SCHA, I see that you moved on to a new position as the executive director at South Carolina Retail Association. Please tell us a little bit about the association and your job. Sure, absolutely. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm new here to the Retail Association and I'm uh, very excited to start in this position and um, to add to what I was kind of just saying about growing my own confidence in my abilities and my experiences and looking for myself at what I wanted for professional growth when this opportunity came up to be the executive director of the Retail Association in South Carolina, it felt like a very good next step for me to continue to grow my skills with the lobbying that I'd already been doing, which is still a big part of my role, um, one of the primary purposes of the Retail Association, uh, but also to give me the opportunity to move into the more association management and member management side of things as well. And so I'm really excited to be taking on that new challenge. Um, our association, like, like most associations uh, at the State House, is just a trade association for retail organizations. So that's anything from grocery stores to um, kind of more big box stores, if you will, Target, Walmart, those sort of things, and electronics, home goods, really anything that is selling directly to consumers, retail oriented is a retail store and can be a member of the association. And so we have all of the above and our issues run really the gamut. I mean, we have retail pharmacies, uh, CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid, all of that. And uh, so we are working on some pharmacy issues at the state house. We have grocery stores and other department stores, which are focused this year on some tax issues as well as the alcohol related issues in delivery and curbside pickup of alcohol. And we also have uh, convenience stores and and a lot of other um, food industry type organizations as well. And so we run all the way across the board and, and touch all kinds of different issues and committees. So um, a lot of these organizations don't have folks on the ground dedicated day to day to the General Assembly here in South Carolina. So what they probably have more so is somebody who is dedicated to three states or five states or region um, and to keep an eye on what's going on in the state house and to weigh into those kind of things to stay connected. So I'm their eyes and ears on the ground. I'm their in-person lobbyist at the state house to represent their um, needs and their issues, their, their positions on issues. Uh, since they can't be everywhere at once. And the, the general manager at the grocery store doesn't need to necessarily be spending their time at the state house all the time as well. They need somebody dedicated and looking out for their interests. So that's kind of where I step in and where the association can work together. Um, and in like most associations, its general principle is that together we're stronger than on our own. So if you had Walmart and Target and Publix and Food Lion and CVS and Walgreens all working parallel but not together, they would be able to make progress. But when we can speak with one voice, we certainly can um, have a little bit louder of an impact sometimes. And how many members do you have? Oh, well, that is a great question. <laughs> um, well, we have, I, I believe, I'm, I, like I said, I'm a little bit new to the role. Um, I believe we have a couple hundred in total, um, different varying um, levels, I guess, of membership and different um, uses of the membership as well. Okay. And do you work closely with other states? 
Yes, yes. I work very closely, especially with our counterparts in North Carolina, um, as well as uh, some of my counterparts, the retail association, uh, government relations or executive directors in the other southeastern states throughout our country. Um, a lot of times, as we've seen in every every industry, every issue, we saw this at the hospitals as well. Um, issues aren't specific to one state. They bleed over or they kind of travel. One legislature hears about an issue and says, I like that from North Carolina. Let's do that in South Carolina. Or they say, I don't like that. Let's make sure we can't do that here. Uh, and so often it, we're not operating in a silo and we can learn from each other. Um, obviously, every state is different. South Carolina is unique in a lot of ways. And um, so what works in North Carolina or Georgia or Florida may not work here. And that's that's OK. Um, and but we still like to learn from each other and share sure war stories, share um, different techniques that we were found successful, talking points that maybe didn't work as well as we thought, and be able to learn from each other's experiences so we're not reinventing the wheel in each state at each issue. Perfect. With that, I would like to give the last few minutes to you to tell us any kind of tips which you would like to share about lobbying, or if you'd like to share anything about your future, that would be fine too. Well, sure. Well, I, I don't know that I have a lot to say about the future. I'm excited about my new role at the Retail Association and very um, excited to step into this new industry and continue to grow my career. So for the for the moment, my future looks looks great here at the Retail Association. I'm excited for that. I won't look too far beyond that for now. Um, as far as lobbying tips or um, advice would go, a couple of things that I have found valuable and I have learned both from experience and seeing other people do them is, um, you know, it's a relationship game. It, lobbying is all about relationships and you can build them uh, and you can burn them. And, you know, once you burn a relationship, it's really hard to get that back. And so my advice to anybody getting started out in lobbying or government relations or politics in general would be to be true to yourself, be honest, and, um, you know, don't don't promise things you can't keep. Make sure that you're able to, if you say you're going to do something, do it. If you tell somebody something that it's true, um, because it doesn't take very many times of you misspeaking or you not living up to your promises for somebody to decide that you aren't a credible source anymore. Um, and on the flip side of that, it, it is to give yourself some, some grace as well. It's a difficult business and it, it can be uh, tiring and there's a lot of pressure and, and um, very fast paced movement sometimes. And sometimes it's very slow paced movement, um, but that ultimately if you, are, if you are acting with integrity, you're being honest and you're doing what you feel like needs to be done to represent the people that you are being paid to represent, um, ultimately, you can't always control the outcome as long as you're controlling how you conduct yourself. That's all you can do. And so it is an industry where um, there are so many different factors. Even the best lobbyists don't always win. Uh, so it's not always a personal issue, it, it, but it does come down to in the long term, your reputation and your credibility is based on how you have conducted yourself in the past and you can control that. So that would be my Kind of first and foremost tip for anybody getting into this business or, or kind of early on would be to stay true to yourself, keep your own integrity, be honest, um, because the rest of rest of everything else will work itself out sometimes as long as you're working hard and, and acting 
in a way that you feel proud of. Well, Krista, I can say with the very few minutes I've spent with you, um, the personality you have, I'm pretty sure you'll have a great relationship with everyone who you're in touch with. And I'm pretty sure you'll shine in your new role as well. All the very best to you. And thank you so much for spending this time with me. Well, thank you for your kind words and thank you for your time.